1: If you found $100 on the street, would you pick it up or keep walking? Of course, you'd take the money. So why do you keep picking winners and not betting on them? That's why I go to MyBookie. It's fast, it's easy and they pay you when you win. Let's face it, where you're betting is just as important as who you're betting on. Do the smart thing, if you're gonna bet this football season, bet with my MyBookie. Did you know you could bet on games after kickoff? If by the second half it looks like your bet is gonna lose, you can always just take the other side. If you're the kind of guy that likes to bet a little and win a lot, try a parlay. If all your picks come through, you'll multiply your winnings. And no matter how you bet, the NFL season is the best time of year. Join now and MyBookie will double your first deposit. Use promo code BLUEWIRE to activate the offer. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. Visit mybookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. Welcome to another episode of Bulls HQ, a Chicago Bulls podcast on the Blue Wire Sports Podcasting Network. Thank you for joining me again this week, where now I can officially gloat about Australia being better than America. We we probably typically already knew that anyway, but in terms of the World Cup, if we look specifically at the results, you can make that assumption too. And um unfortunately, whilst Australia weren't able to win gold themselves, at the very least, they did place higher than Team USA, which is a massive victory for myself. So I'm going to take this opportunity to get on the podcast, to get on my soapbox and to gloat about it, even though I personally had nothing to do with the result. But um here to gloat about America's shortcomings at the World Cup is another Bulls fan from abroad. You all surely know him by now. He's Morton Jensen from the NBA podcast. And... Mort, I'm sure you're as happy as me to see the US fall to France in the quarterfinals of the World Cup. <laughs> I mean, I
2: I think you're way more invested than I am, but um, <laughs> I I am definitely enjoying uh, the the uh, basically the big mental breakdown on Twitter that day. That was that wow. Um, I mean, I it, it was so weird because so many people. We're all up in arms about this. But when it was announced, you know, the final roster, people were like, like, eh, okay, it doesn't matter. I don't care anyway. It doesn't matter. It's not the Olympics. I'm not even going to watch. And then when they got bounced, it was like, this is a travesty, a scandal. This is this is the worst thing that's happened to American basketball. I'm like, what? Like, <laughs> pick a lane.
1: Yeah, it's funny because, like, I don't know how, how much – how many Americans, I guess, follow the World Cup. I don't think it's something that grips them in the way it does the international fan, which I get, I understand. Obviously, I'm rooting for Australia. I was I was hoping to see them win gold. That's not going to happen, unfortunately, but nonetheless, pretty happy with their how their world cup has has gone about like I said because in large part because they finished above the u s because if your team can't win the World Cup, what you want to see is see the u s lose, which is a like i said a victory in itself so i'm I'm very pleased to see team u s a lose the world cup that was that was great for me but I bring up the World Cup one so I can get my jabs into all my American listeners and hopefully they haven't tuned out by now. I'm hoping that's not the case. Let me get in a few punches whilst I can because I'm sure things will change at the Olympics in a year or so. But the reason why I wanted to bring up the World Cup more so than just to have a few jabs at Americans, American listeners who will be tuning in is because I wanted to loop that into Bulls point guard Thomas Sadaransky who he and his Czech Republic side also happened to finish above Team USA at the World Cup. They were brilliant in, in the World Cup themselves. They finished sixth. Unfortunately, they lost to Serbia in that fifth place qualifier. So Thomas Satoransky and the Czech Republic finished sixth, the US team in seventh. So I casually wanted to throw that out there so we could segue our way into Satoransky who was brilliant yep. in this World Cup. He was he was
2: tremendous. Um so, so here's the thing, right? We have seen him play three years in Washington, where he's played off of great stars, stars who are ball dominant, who's going to take a lot of shots. And this is the first time we've seen him at this stage in a featured role to the same extent during a, a high performance um, tournament. And what he did was was very, very impressive. I, I, obviously, when you have an NBA player who, who plays with a supporting cast that is significantly less than what he is in terms of quality and talent, you are going to see that player uh, increase his volume, increase his, the level of responsibility. But what, how he did it and how he performed and how he continued to kind of match his own or, or match the countries that he played against uh, energy and and. And execution was outstanding to me i was very very surprised at how he handled himself in a featured role because you could see the way the teams defended him they were locking on to him and and zeroing in on him and trying to basically stop him from initiating the offense every single time and he broke through um i'm not sure i have the updated stats here i don't remember if if if, uh, the czech republic played seven or eight games but so, excuse me if these are are uh, one game away from being the accurate ones. But the the line I'm looking at right now is sixteen points, six rebounds, and nine assists. On yeah, I mean that there is final numbers. Those are his final numbers. Okay, yeah, that that's an incredible line. And then you combine it with with you know eighty nine percent free throw shooting, forty five percent from downtown on on fairly high volume. He was efficient. He was all over the place, dishing, rebounding, and and i just i really had my eyes open in towards just how talented he was i always liked him in washington but this really uh this this really gave me some some very positive mojo for him moving forward uh i i think he should be the starting point guard absolutely just the way he runs the offense like defensively he's not gonna be chris Dunn i'll say as much uh but at six seven and agile and with some sneaky athleticism I don't think he's gonna be bad either, necessarily. I, I'm very, very stoked about him just getting into a new situation where that's not Washington, where he seemed to be handcuffed for three years.
1: Look, I, I didn't watch every single game that he played, but I obviously watched all of his minutes against Australia. I thought he was pretty instrumental in that game. He didn't have his best shooting game in that, in that specific game itself. He was 5 from 12 from the field, but you could tell just from watching the way he was playing and the way Australia was gardening, to your point, he was that sole focus for that Australian defence. And that would have been the case for every other defence that that were, that were sort of matching up against the Czech Republic. They had some good players on their squad too, not necessarily some NBA-caliber players, but Sadoransky was clearly number o- or the first option that teams were looking to shut down. And I think that's what was interesting to see, the fact that he was playing in that role, but just how... I guess how he was able to impact a game, even on nights that he didn't necessarily shoot the ball well, like I mentioned in that Australia game, only yep. shot forty two percent, but he can fill up a stat sheet and he can still affect a game in a lot of ways. To the point where against the Australians, he was grabbing and going off the off the uh, off the glass and really getting that Czech Republic side into into a transition, where I guess they were probably better or more it was probably better for them to be in that transition where they didn't have to necessarily set up in half court and have to go up against a set defense with having, I guess, a roster that didn't necessarily have that that caliber of scorers that they needed to have to play that half court offense where you can score... 80 90 points in the half court like a, a supreme spain team or something like that so getting out on the break and leading that break off a defensive rebound is something that really caught my eye with Set from sadaransky in this tournament and it's obviously something we can expect in his time in chicago i mean he was one rebound shy of a triple double against my australian side so and he did that a lot on the defensive end where he was grabbing the rebound and really pushing in transition. And that's one of the reasons why he had 13 assists in that game as well. So 13 points, 13 assists, nine re- nine rebounds against the Australian side. But there were so many games where he was putting up seven rebounds, seven assists, or you know nine assists, six rebounds, whatever the stat line was. Yeah. He was doing things even when he wasn't necessarily scoring that would, I guess, fill up the entire, the entire um, box score and would sort of really indicate that he can do a lot of damn things well. And I think the, the thing that was very, very clear to me was just how smart he was. And I think that's going to be the the biggest difference that we Bulls fans are going to have to get used to, the fact that we are actually got a point guard in here that can run pick and roll, which is not a thing that we've had for years.
2: Uh, Absolutely. And especially a guy who can play pick and roll by not necessarily... Um, projecting what he's going to do. You know that when Chris Dunn is going into a pick and roll, like most of the time, he's going to try to attack off the bounce off of that screen roll. Sadaransky with his shooting ability and his his very sublime passing skills uh, and the fact that he's 6'7 and can't get to the rim offers three different levels of executions off a pick and roll. And then when you add, like, in Laurie Markin, who can both roll and pop, that just means that there's so many opportunities that opens up in that scenario. So Saceranski should, on paper and in theory at least, open up the entire offense. What what I'm mostly looking forward to from him is there's this idea that he's going to be the perfect Zach Levine uh, backcourt man. I'm, I'm actually on board in part with that logic because he's not a guy who necessarily wants X amount of shots every every single night, but at the same time, when he gets an opportunity, he's not he's not going to pass it up. He's going to take advantage. And I feel as though Bulls fans are looking at Sadransky saying, oh, this is a guy who's going to be completely fine just spotting up and doing nothing else. Well, maybe in some case that is absolutely true. But he's also not a guy who's going to turn down driving lanes. He's not a guy who's going to just be passive all the time. This is going to be a guy who is hard-nosed, who is going to get his just by being efficient and picking his spots. He's a very careful shooter. But that shouldn't be mistaken for him being passive necessarily, which I think is a very important uh, distinction.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, he's a player that's not scared if we listen to Jim Boylan, and I'm not sure if you got a chance to read that uh, that interesting piece that... I'm pretty uh, sure I was the one who linked it to you. Yeah, actually, you <laughs> were. That that Joe Cowley piece is the one that I'm referencing where he obviously went straight to the source, the source being Jim Boylan, who had some some interesting all-around quotes as he typically does. Old, old Jimbo there, but he made the point that Sadoransky isn't a player that is, or well, he's not a player that gets scared, I guess, and to your exact point, that that's not the case. I mean, he will be someone who will happily spot up for that open three, He shot forty percent, 48% in the World Cup, but he's more creative than that. He can get to the hole. And I mean, he had a huge dunk against Australia right, right on the three-quarter time buzzer. Where he basically drove the entire lane and just threw down a one-handed hammer and that was a huge way to end that third quarter for his check side, and he sort of brought his team back into the the game at that point. So he is more creative than some Bulls fans may think. Him, You must have been so conflicted (laughs) with that play. It was interesting. Well, like I said before the game, if Sadoransky can put up a triple double and in a loss, and Australia wins, then I'll be pleased. And he's <laughs> like I said, he's one rebound away from that triple double. Australia got that got that win, uh, so I was happy all around. It was conf- it was conflicting at sometimes or conflicting rather at sometimes, particularly on that dunk. But I'm I'm looking forward to Sadoransky. and I probably haven't been this excited about a Bulls point guard in some time because we have been deprived of good point guard play, and I think with Sadoransky in the fold. It should be a lot better, which I'm pleased to I'm mm. pleased to see. I guess I'm obviously we haven't seen it just yet, but I'm projecting forward. But I feel comfortable in in, in saying that Saturans is going to be a success just because he is that level player, level headed player. He's not one that makes necessarily a ton of mistakes. He's just a smart player, and you need smart players on the roster. And I guess that leads me to my next few questions, and I want to talk about this point guard rotation. But I got a question in here from uh, Felipe Hayes and he asks. Yeah. And I always but I always butcher Felipe's last name. But he asks obviously with Chris Dunn being on the roster still, and it doesn't appear that Chris Dunn's going anywhere in the short term, but do you think because there's Sadaransky along on the roster, there's obviously Kobe White, there's a few other point guards on the roster too that do you think there's a chance that Chris Dunn could function as a maybe as a small ball wing of sorts to maybe be supported by a player like Sataranski out there on the court where the Bulls run those multiple point guard lineups or multiple ball handler lineups. Do you think Dunn can be a small ball wing of sorts? Do you think that's in in the cards? That's an interesting question because uh, I actually talked about that
2: on, on my show, the NBA podcast. And th- there are some similarities in terms of Dunn and a-, a Tony Allen in terms of the defense, at least, not, not offense. Um, long, athletic, uh, very, very disruptive. And Dunn is 6'4". Stefan if the athletic, has banged on this drum that's, that Dunn could play the two. I I don't think that he's wrong. I, I he's he's got the size, he's got the defensive know-how. The the Bulls are somewhat thin on the wing as is, so if you play him up a position or two even, I I don't think it it ruins everything. Uh, what's his wingspan again? Chris Dunn's like 6'9",
1: 6'10". Oh uh, yeah, I don't know off the top of my head, but it's definitely like you can just look tell by looking at him that he's got long ass limbs. Very, very long arms, right?
2: And and a and 6'4. That's a pretty like, in today's game where everything is trending you know a little downwards in terms of size, I I wouldn't even mind having him play some small forward minutes. As long as the the it has just to be about his uh disposition to the game. Like it hasn't it doesn't have to be him going off like pig and roll basketball. He has to come in with the mindset of, oh, okay, I have to defend my ass off. My my role is defending first and foremost, taking open shots when it's there. Uh, you know, and that doesn't mean jump shots necessarily. It can mean driving uh, drives or just you know open dunks or whatever. Just don't pound the ball into the pavement for 16 seconds. That's not your role anymore because now Satoransky is there, Kobe White is there, both are. Well, not maybe Kobe White isn't necessarily to be projected to be better in his rookie season offensively, but both of those guys on paper offer better offensive execution on that end. So that just kind of lessens Dunn's importance on that end of the floor. So his priorities have to change. I I think the Bulls fans that are against Dunn saying that he's not an NBA player are wrong. That's not fair. I think he's absolutely an NBA player. I just think it's about time he figures out what type of NBA player he is. And if I were him, I would lean towards just defense and becoming more of a wing than a natural point guard. Absolutely. And Felipe, by the way, uh, thanks for doing the thing with the thing. You know what I'm talking about. Thank you.
1: (laughs) I have no idea what you're talking about, but I'm sure Felipe does. But I I think the the done. Hates too strong a word, but the dung backlash has gone too far. I am certainly yeah. no Chris Dunn fan. I'm, I've said it on here multiple times. I would be happy to see him traded for a wing or whatever it may be. But I think the the reaction to Chris Dunn falling out as I guess the point guard of the future. Now that there are a few new point guards on board, be it Kobe White, be it Sadoransky, whoever the shiny new toy is, I think the the reaction to Dunn or the negativity to Dunn has swayed too far at this point to the point where people can't think he can play with another you know, another guard out there that he can only be a point guard. And I don't know if that's true. I understand that he and Levine had struggles last season playing together, but that was often in lineups that didn't make necessarily any offensive sense at all. And if you think, you know, you you had Zach Levine out there, often with Chris Dunn, but there wasn't much shooting to support those guys with, a lot much creativity to support those guys with. Often it was a, they were playing in lineups with Jabari Parker and Robin Lopez, or you know Chandler Hutchinson or whoever it may have been. These inadequate offensive lineups, where of course Chris Dunn is going to look bad out there because he's got no room to move, and he's going to be looking even worse when he's sort of doing nothing off the ball when Zach Levine has it. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's not necessarily just a Chris Dunn problem; it's also a problem of. The rest of the five-man unit out there. So I, I think the, the negative reaction at this point against Dung has prob- has probably gone too far. I don't know, what what's in store for Dung for this season with with the Bulls. I think it's still likely that he's going to be shipped off at some point. But I think I think they have to try him as a wing at some point because they do have too many wings on this roster and we we talk about the multiple ball handler lineup and this team doesn't necessarily have a lot of ball handlers on it. And Chris Dunning's actually one of the few that they do have on this roster. So I think there will be occasions when he's out there with Zach Levine, out there with Tomas Sadoransky. And it's, it's possible that he may be the first player off the bench and maybe he subs in for Otto Porter, whatever it may be. And yeah. I guess one of those players becomes a de facto point guard, but they're probably gonna be switching it up to the point where Dunn at some point will be a wing. And I mean it's up to him to be, improve as a shooter, but I think to Felipe's point, I think they should try it at some point. But another question that we got in around this point guard rotation is is, is around Ryan Archie and obviously my guy here, but how much is how much playing time should we expect for Archie Diacono now that sataransky is here? We're obviously talked about Dunn maybe playing some wing minutes, but do you think Archie will get some minutes here? And do you think he will actually get some more minutes than someone like Kobe White, who is coming in as an inexperienced point guard and someone still learning to be that point guard? I think the the possibility of that exists, absolutely. The
2: Bulls are going to to, to try to make the playoffs, not just this year, but next year, because they want to be as attractive as possible going into the 2021 free agency. Uh, and, and if you can go to a free agent in 2021 and say, hey, you know what? We just made two playoff appearances we have a lot of you know young plot young players who have grown in the playoff series that we've played in then that's a, a huge draw and a part of that is playing players who are more experienced right now as you know as we're saying this Ryan Archidiakono is a way more experienced NBA player than Kobe White for obvious reasons now that's not an indictment on on Kobe White's ability or his shooting potential or anything else like he projects to be the better NBA player uh, down the line. But this year, you know, I, I could definitely see a scenario wherein uh, Ryan Archie Diacono is somewhat comfortably better.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it's an interesting one. And I got that question in from uh, Average Joe Opa- o- OPK. So I, I don't know where he necessarily stands on the situation, but I, I think Arch will be getting minutes in the rotation for sure. I think it'll be interesting to see how Boylan handles this thing because inevitably... There are going to be point guards playing shooting guard. There are going to be point guards playing small forward, whether that's Chris Dunn, whether that's Satoransky, whether it's Kobe White, whoever it may be. I think it's going to be a combination, but that does leave minutes for Ryan Archidiakono to get minutes at point yep. guard because some of those other point guard options will be on the wing. And that may be as soon as the season starts. We don't know. I guess the extent of Chandler Hutchinson's injury. I spoke about that last week on the podcast. Obviously he was ruled out indefinitely, indefinitely. So I don't know what that means for, for Hutchinson. But if that means someone like Dunn or Sadaransky has to get some minutes at the two or three, then that opens up more minutes at point guard, meaning Arch will be getting more minutes at the point guard spot. But to your point, he's that more seasoned guy. He's more experienced and the Bulls are gunning for the playoffs. I don't think that's that. I don't think that should be something they should shy away from. And, I think at this point, heading into year three of the rebuild, it should be about progressing towards to the playoffs. Whether you make it or not, I think that should be the goal. So it'll be interesting to see how the Bulls manage that point guard rotation, but I feel a lot more comfortable about about it now that Sadaransky is in the fold, and I think they do have some, some variability to it as well. So it's going to be an interesting situation, but I want to come back more, and I want to talk about sports illustrators top 100 because that's probably been the other thing that us bulls fans have been raging on about this week i want to talk about that after the break but let's tell the listeners about this week's sponsors there are countless ways to keep up with what's happening in the world of sports but how are you supposed to read every great article how are you supposed to watch every awesome highlight without losing time in your busy day scrolling through every app and visiting every website on a daily basis is impossible Now coming to the stage, Axios Sports. Axios Sports is a modern sports page delivered directly to your email inbox. Each morning, you'll see the best stories from around the sports world, from the NBA and the NFL to niche sports like cricket and ping pong. The email newsletter highlights the most important stats and trends, giving you the ability to stay informed. It's super simple to sign up. Go to sports.axios.com. Axios Sports is clean, crisp, and gives you everything you need to know. Read it in 5 minutes in the elevator or discover a deep dive article while you're on the train to work. Not only will you be caught up, you'll be the cool person sharing an amazing link with your friends and co-workers. Join the 100,000 sports fans who get caught up on the day before it even begins. And best of all, there's no paywall, no subscription fee, nothing. This is free curated sports content delivered directly to you. Do yourself and your time a favor. Sign up for the Axios Sports Newsletter for free at sports.axios.com. Seriously, I subscribe to it and it makes me feel more informed without spending time clicking through websites, apps, and social media platforms. Again, try it for free at sports.axios.com. Guys are terrible at taking care of their health. Whether it's a knee injury, bad back or something worse, guys are usually more comfortable rubbing some dirt in it than seeing a doctor. I'm guilty of this myself. My back has been playing up for months and I have not been to a doctor to get this checked out at all. And the same is true for erectile dysfunction. Studies show 70% of guys who experience ED don't get treated for it. Thankfully, Roman created an easy way to chat with a doctor online. With Roman, you can get medical care for ED, if appropriate, from the comfort and privacy of your own home. You can handle everything online in a convenient, discreet manner. Getting started is simple. Just go to roman.com slash and complete an online visit. If your doctor decides that treatment would be appropriate, they can prescribe genuine medication that can be delivered in discreet packaging right to your door with free two-way shipping. Guys, go talk to the doctor. Erectile dysfunction can be tough to tackle, but it's really important to get it checked out. With Roman, it's easy to connect with a doctor. Just go to roman.com slash bluewire to get a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's roman.com slash bluewire for a free visit to get started. Get roman.com slash bluewire. All right, back to the show now and more. Like I said, I wanted to talk about the SI, SI Top 100. There's the few Bulls mentioned that Top 100, which I guess is positive in itself, but I don't know. I've got some takes on this, but the, the rhetoric around it was, I guess, somewhat negative by the Bulls fan base, at least from, I guess, some of the things that I've seen online, at least, so... I guess for those who may not have read the SI Top 100, there was four Bulls in the Top 100. So Otto Porter was actually the highest ranked Bull at number 57. Thad Young came in at number 70. Lowry Markham not far behind him at 75. And then Zach Levine at 90. So there was a lot of conversation about this as it typically is. Not just amongst Bulls fan base, but... You know, just NBA fans at large, you know, mostly mostly by people who felt their guy was snubbed or their guy was way too down their list. And obviously, that's something the Bulls fans were definitely, definitely talking about, in, particularly, in particular with Zach Levine. But I want to get your initial thoughts off the top, at least. What did you think about where these Bulls were sort of situated in the top 100?
2: Uh, I mean, Zach Levine at 90th was... Uh... That, that was pretty atrocious, to be honest with you. I, I'm not a a, um, a guy who was very high on sack coming into the Bulls necessarily. I think he did very well last year, all things considered. He's not a great defensive player. We all know that. But he did score the ball at a high rate and his sufficiency level was above league average, which is not something anyone really anticipated. Offensively, he's extremely dynamic and that does carry value. It, it seems to me that this list uh, really took defenders and put them on a pedestal, which is is fine. I mean, it lists are objective, so or su- subjective, of course. <laughs> so that's a part of it. But in no way do I see Alfa Rogamino, who's at 84th, being a better player than Zach Levine, and especially in terms of team importance, team role, um, on court production, minutes, whatnot. I mean, it's it's basically. Uh, Just a way of saying, hey, we are going to penalize players who score the ball and don't play much on the other end, which is fine. But then you have a lot of defenders who really aren't necessarily great offensive players either. And I think basketball in today's day and age, it needs to be a two-way game and and also i i'm i also subscribe to the theory that elite offense will always beat elite defense so from where i'm coming from i always lean slightly towards offense over defense that's besides the point um the the Zach levine uh ranking i feel was was too low by probably 15 to 20 slots and, and because i don't think you can put julius randall for example at 79 and say, oh, he's significantly better. Yeah, I mean, he scores a lot and he rebounds and he pushes the ball, but he's just as atrocious uh, a defender as, as Levine. If anything, they should be neck and neck. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I, I have a problem with that one. I feel that wasn't really too great. Uh, Laurie Markkinen at 75, I kind of get it because, you know, talking to people around, you know, the NBA Twitter sphere who aren't Bulls fans and who are just looking at it from the outside, there's a lot of opinions about Laurie Marketing being a guy who you don't know who is yet, or uh, who are, you know what he is yet, considering the injuries. you know He came into last year with the elbow, he missed uh, games in his first year as well, so there is this thing hanging over him, can he put a full season together? Which I think is fair, that's a fair criticism. Whether that played into his ranking or not, I, I can't say. But I have to assume that it did because a healthy Laurie Markkinen, uh, I would assume to to be higher than than seventy five. I have no problem with Arapour being the highest one. I do feel you know Markkinen should be a little bit ahead of Thaddeus Young, but otherwise, no qualms with the Bulls.
1: Yeah. See, my my thoughts about this whole thing is. I, look, I, I agree with everything that you just noted there, particularly about Zach Levine. I probably think that he should be at least 80th, not 90th. Yep. I mean, it's give or take. It's 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 ultimately a subjective list. And I guess that's my overall opinion on this whole thing is I don't know why people get so heated about this whole topic of making lists or of making evaluations based on you know a top 100 or whatever it may be because the entire thing is always subjective and there is never a, a universal criteria that people follow and I guess another thing to note is, is SI pretty much or pretty clearly sort of outlined as to how they would be judging players what criteria they do use and if, if we know anything about Rob Mahoney who put this together for SI is he often refers to advanced analytics and they figure quite quite a bit into the criteria for a player like Zach Levine and he uses advanced analytics and and how those players sort of grade out on those to help make his top 100 and a player like Levine has traditionally been a poor performer in advanced analytics so when you can't when you sort of factor in the criteria that SI use themselves to create their list, and I'm not 100% shocked as to where Zach falls. That doesn't necessarily mean I agree with it, but I guess I just don't understand the outrage when you factor into the criteria that was applied by SI. We can disagree with the criteria, but I I just don't understand the outrage, I suppose, is my point. I, I don't agree with it, but I don't also want to spend... I don't understand why people expend so much energy on uh, complaining about these things, I guess.
2: Well, it's it's traditional off-season fodder, isn't it? I mean, we see it every single year. The the regular season or and the playoffs. It's been over a couple months. Everyone seems to be hungry for basketball again. There's nothing really on, you know. Uh the World Cup kinda takes you a little bit. It's it's like a fix, but it's not really you see people on Twitter just going nuts about talking about preseason. Like, when's preseason going to come here? And then preseason's there. That's not going to fill the gap because then you want the regular season. Um, so this is just one of those things that that has to happen every single year. It also feels like we all we always have way more goat debates during the off season. It, it certainly feels that way. Like Kobe Bryant's name is always brought up more during the off season as well. Like where does he rank as a shooting guard? That's, that's where we kind of take ourselves away from the current game and go into like the history books. And we start with like the big overviews. Okay. So who's number one? And what about the lead today? Who's number one is the lead today? What are, who's the top 10 point guards and, you know, big, big uh, editorials make slideshows and it's, it's just traditional summer fodder and it is what it is. And look, the SI article
1: It did what it was supposed to do. It drew
2: clicks, man. (laughs) It got a lot of clicks.
1: I mean, we're talking about it on this podcast, despite my, I guess, my insistence, the fact that we shouldn't be wasting that much energy arguing about it. And I guess we're not necessarily arguing about it, but we are talking about it. So I guess they've achieved their goal. But yeah, I mean, I just don't get it, I suppose, because people view things through their own criteria. They'll, They'll see Larry at 75 and they'll see someone at Harrison Barnes who's above Larry and they'll think, why would any team want Lowry above Harrison Barnes? And maybe there would be more teams that would want Lowry than Harrison Barnes on their specific team, depending on their context. But based on SI's context and their criteria, I, I just don't understand why people get too upset about it. I guess the other thing that maybe Bulls fans were maybe surprised to see was to see Otto and Thad above Zach and Lowry. And again, I'm not surprised by that either, based on SI's criteria, but also my own personal criteria. Because... I don't want that, even though I don't think they have the ceilings that uh, a player like Lowry or even Zach project to have, I think right now, based on the upcoming season if we're just thinking about the upcoming season, which again is another criteria for this top 100. It's not a list based on who would you rather have in three years' time. It's based on the upcoming season. It's right. it's not surprising to think that a player like Otto or Thad will be the most productive player on this Bulls roster next season. And I, I think that's more than fair to think about. And I don't know. So I, I guess I just don't know why uh, people get too too upset about it. But I got a question in here from... um. P. Varaparate, and he asked me a question. Based on the projected rotation, will Boylan use Thad as the first be- first big off the bench and use him to stagger Lowry and-, and Wendell Carter Jr. so they get, so they both get minutes at center? So I guess when you're factoring that question based as well on the top 100 and you have like a player like Thad coming off the bench and he's, back, he's ranked higher than Lowry, he's ranked higher than Zach, and obviously he's ranked higher than Wendell, who didn't even figure in the top 100. Mm. I guess it's hard for people to compute the whole top 100 thing and how a player like Thad could be rated higher than, than Lowry, given that Thad may be coming off the bench. But let's let's pivot away from the top 100 and pivot into some listener questions, and let's answer that one first from PV. He, asks about, he asked that question about Thad Young, and do you think Boylan is going to be using that is that first big off the bench in order to stagger Larry and Wendell's minutes into that center spot
2: I mean look at the the contract he got it I would be very surprised if that didn't come with very <laughs> a very specific job description of being the first guy off the off the bench even not just the first big I wouldn't be surprised if he's like generally the first player off um I I I do want to see Laurie and Wendell play a lot of minutes together because they are the future of the team in many respects. I think it's absolutely crucial that they get time together and grow and, and develop chemistry on the court. But the Bulls also have to, as we talked about previously, they also have to look at the playoffs as a, as a target. And Thad Young, who is he's 31, right? So right in the middle of his prime, he is a tremendous two-way player playing him is going to lead with a higher certainty at least to, to more wins so he's going to get a lot of minutes and, and presumably almost at the four because then you move Laurie up to the five you sit Wendell and all that so yeah I, I wouldn't be surprised if that's the route but I would also be disappointed if Laurie and Wendell did not get 20 minutes together at night
1: yeah I 100% agree and I hope the plan is for, for Thad to come off the bench and not be that starter next to Lowry at the 5 or something crazy like that. I'm I'm, I'm hoping that's not the case, but I, I think Thad is going to be that, that bench piece who can slide in at 4 and fit perfectly either alongside Wendell or Lowry. So I think that is definitely going to be the case, PB. So at least I'm hoping that's how Boylan uses him. But we also got in a question here, Mort, from, from Christian at Vitamin C underscore 21 on Twitter. He asks... How do you feel about the buzz of Lowry running at the five this season? Obviously, we just spoke about Lowry potentially playing some some center minutes. And, and obviously, we would like to see him and Wendell playing as many minutes together as possible. But obviously, Lowry will be running some some of his minutes at the five. The Bulls have made that pretty clear that he will be playing some time at center. But how do you generally feel about the, the buzz the, around Lowry playing at center? I don't think you and I have had much to talk about in that in that sense. I don't think we've had that discussion amongst ourselves.
2: Well, I, I I don't love the idea of Laurie at the 5. Um I I don't think he is the traditional 5 man, honestly. Remember when he came out of college, uh, I think it was Reggie O'Donnell who actually said that he was almost like a 7-foot shooting guard. Uh statistically speaking and and that was interesting. Like obviously he's he's turned that around. He's become a very very good rebounder and he, he is, you know, he that's I don't even know what to call that Laurie a patented drive he has where he kind of slows down like kind of the drag runner i'm not really sure what it is but that's a big man move in some respects as well so he he's evolved into becoming more of a big but i think you know playing the center spot is taking one bit too far um he seems like a very pure four man uh, in my eyes. And Cole Swicker, who you had on the podcast, I heard that. That was a great episode, by the way. And Cole's article on, on Wendell. I mean, woof, I'm I'm i I'm I'm I'm, all, I'm almost blushing here right now, just thinking about it. That's so great a piece. Uh but he was also like Lori's kind of like a a pure four or a straight up four. And I agree with that. I think he he's just that genera- this generation's type of four. I don't necessarily think he's one of those uh, has to fill in at center spot, who's going to be a great defensive player and and all that. No, you just run him loose as the foreman and then let Wendell and Luke Cornett and potentially down the road Daniel Gafford play the center minutes. That's fine. Laurie at the four seems like a very good fit. And then when he sits, you can play small without a porter coming in. This is after Thaddeus Young, you know, in a couple of years. Um. And then Autoported come in and play the four and it can go a little bit small. Like, yeah, you can give spot minutes to Lori at the five. I don't have any problem with that, but in terms of playing him like a significant percentage of his minutes at the five, I just don't see the benefit.
1: Yeah, I completely agree, and I mean, I just don't see him as that that center that this team needs. And, 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 I, and the reason I say that is obviously the court is connected. Both ends of the court are connected. And if we're thinking about the entire court itself, I just don't think Larry at the five makes full functional sense because whilst I think there is obviously offensive advantages to having Larry at the five, the defensive side of the ball is where things get concerning for me. And just the just the thought of him having to body up against some of the biggest centers in the NBA, I think that's going to go poorly for Larry. So I don't like the idea of it of it happening too much. I think in certain spots or in certain rotations or in certain matchups, it definitely is something that the Bulls should be exploiting. But yeah. I think this potential move or, or make, I hope they're not testing Larry at the five this season as a potential move to making that full time going forward because – I completely agree. I think he's a power forward. I don't think he has enough center chops to be that full time center. He definitely doesn't have that rim protection. He doesn't have that defensive ability to be that center spot or to be that full time center, rather. So to think of Lowry as someone that can transition to five over time, I think that is a mistake. Can he pinch it at the five at points during the season? Yes, I think that is something that the Bulls will do and should do and he can do, but. I hope they don't think of i don't th- I hope they don't think it's anything more grand than that because I don't think he is that center option going forward, but I got another question in about Lowry. And, and i'm not look I'm not surprised to to see that bull's fans are, are obviously got their attention and their focus on Larry marketing because he is probably for most fans at least maybe the most appeal or the most or the highest projection so i'm not so- I'm not surprised to see a lot of questions come in from Lowry. but this one came in from Jermaine Jones and he asks he or he wanted to talk about rather Lowry posting up because it seems that a lot of people these days are against modern day bigs hitting the post in the, in in the modern NBA and i guess he just wanted to ask or wanted to seek out our feedback as to whether it would be effective to play Lowry in in the same way that maybe the the Mavs did with Dirk Nowitzki and and Dirk wasn't necessarily just a face up big he did play in the post a, a, a little i guess as well so He's, he's not necessarily suggesting the Bulls should play Larry all in the post, but do you think there should be some more variability to Larry's game where he's not necessarily just a face-up, pick-and-pop guy, but whether he should develop as a post option as well?
2: Yeah, I, I do. Not, but here's the thing. Post option can mean a lot of things. Being a post option doesn't mean that you get the ball and then you spend 10 seconds backing down and making Hakim Olajuwon dream shakes and then finishing with a shot. No, it can be just asserting yourself on the block, making a quick move and getting a bucket, which would just make your defender know, oh, okay, he's got that in his back. So next down, next time down the court, the defender goes a little bit harder, maybe gives him a little bit, little bit less of space, which opens up the driving lanes. And in that case, hey, Zach Levine driving down the lane with one hundred and sixteen miles an hour, I'm gonna hit you with a quick bounce pass. Boom! There's a there's a dunk. So it's about what you can achieve from the post-ups. It's about can you pass out of them? Can you see the court? Can you initiate plays? Can you if you can score from it, fine, at least if it's a high percentage shot. That doesn't necessarily mean it has to be with the back to the basket. It can be you know backing down a little bit and then fading away. That's fine. I don't mind a a fadeaway shot from the post, even though it's not great percentage. I don't mind it if it means that the layers added from having that ability in the bag opens up the court from ev- for everyone else if the if that's the ultimate
1: conclusion of it hell yeah diversify i mean you stole my my you stole my thunder there because that's exactly going to be my question and i think we're too quick at this point in the modern nba to say a player like wendell or a player like larry should just be purely 100% face up bigs whilst I definitely think and agree that that's obviously their primary skill and that's the and that's what the Bulls should be exploiting the use of their jump shot and their use to space the floor. Yep. You do need some variability because at some point the game does become a half court offense and you do need some post play, even if it's not necessarily just having Lowry being back to the basket center and pounding away, trying to run off a hook shot or something like that. Even just having him in there as a passing hub, I think is critical. And you can can apply the same thought to Wendell Carter. Maybe it's more applicable to Wendell, but having him in the post as a passing hub makes complete sense for this Bulls Mm -hmm. roster that doesn't have a lot of playmaking. They don't have a lot of perimeter guys out there that can do things off the bounce. And if you're rebuilding around two young bigs, then you can't necessarily have your two bigs on the perimeter and asking them to do things off dribble drives off the perimeter to create for you. But they can potentially do that for you either at the elbow or on the low block. And whether that's with their back to the basket or not, I mean, that remains to be seen. But you can mix it up and it's probably healthy for the Bulls and their players to be doing that. Not only for their own development, but like you said, to give the defense a different look. So yeah. let's assume if Larry was to take 15 shots a game, we're not necessarily advocating for Larry to take you know five or six, maybe even seven of his field goal attempts as back to the basket post ups, post ups as if he was a Robin Lopez. We're not suggesting that, but. If two, maybe three of his possessions come on the block where he's either making a move for himself or making an aggressive move to to from from the right block all the way to the left hand side of the paint to hit a guy in the corner, then that's something that should be part of the Bulls offense too. So similar thing to what I said before about Chris Dunn where we've gone too far. On our perception of Chris Dunn, then I think we've also gone too far with our perception of post-play in the NBA as well. I think it's definitely something that should remain, not necessarily as a back-to-the-basket, Patrick Ewing-style style, type of offense, but I think the Bulls need that variability. And someone like Lowry, I think, could be an interesting playmaker off the block, and that's yep. certainly the case with Wendell too. So, yeah, it's an interesting it's an interesting thing to talk about, but I think we've gone too far with our, our uh, negative reactions around post-play in the NBA.
2: Yeah, and, and there's a guy I want Laurie to really look at, by the way. Pascal Siakam from, from Toronto. And also Bulls fan in general. Like, if you have a chance, check him out. He's a guy who understands to use the post. He can score from there, but when he goes down there, every option is open to him. Like he is surveying the floor every single second that he's backing his defender down. He's looking at cutters, and if he doesn't find anything, that's when he gonna he's gonna make a play for himself but otherwise it's pass first score second and he's doing that even though he has a wide variety of moves in the post like Pascal Siakam honestly could probably average 10 post points a game and somewhat efficiently if he wanted to but he's just a very team oriented guy so he's looking for the pass first and foremost but just having that thing in the back for him has opened that opened up Toronto's offense so much. That was a big part of why they won the championship. It allowed Kawhi to make all those small, slippery cuts. Kawhi himself, by the way, great post player who understands to use it correctly. So you had, you know, Kawhi on the one side, you had Pascal Siakam on the other, you, then you threw in Mark Gasol, who is like a third guy who can also play in the post. Like Toronto really had a bunch of players who could really create for themselves or others just by going down there and having the the oversight and the overview and everything of just knowing what to do. It's all about execution and understanding what to do. Last season for the Bulls, with Robin Lopez getting post touches and basically being asked to take, what, 10 shots a game from the post, that's not how it's done. And I think that's where fans might be upset and going, hey, you know what, that's not efficient basketball. And that's right. I totally agree with you, by the way, in terms of, like we shouldn't demonize post play. I just think for, for Bulls fans... It's a reaction for, you know, from the days of force-feeding Robin Lopez in the post.
1: Yeah, I think you're 100% right. And here's the thing. If the Bulls do plan on running Lowry at center, Larry's often going to be the guy that's screening at the top for someone like Zach Levine. And in those situations, that's going to be a tough call for the defense to make, whether they, whether they switch or whether they try to get over that screen and, and retain their direct matchup. But in the event that they do switch, you're going to have a guy who's maybe a undersized shooting guard that was guarding Zach Levine, all of a sudden now guarding Larry Markkinen. And if the ball goes back to Larry and he has that switch on him, you don't necessarily want Larry being on the perimeter trying to shoot over that player or trying to drill past that player because right. that must, won't always work. So Larry having that post ability to take someone down on the block and draw a foul and get to the line and put that team in foul pressure by playing the post, I think makes more sense against mismatches than it does necessarily against direct match. Matchups in the post, you know, if it's Joel Embiid guarding Larry on the block, then maybe you don't necessarily go into that post option. But if you do get that mismatch and Larry has that mismatch, then post play for Larry does make sense either for his own score or, or or for, you know, the distribution aspect of his game, which needs to lift in this upcoming season. So, to answer your question, Jermaine, it, the post option should be something for Larry to incorporate more in his game. We don't necessarily want to see him being used as Robin Lopez, but to diversify his offense, then it's, it should be something that's part of his game. But more, we do have one more here that I want to loop in, and I think I want to loop it in because I haven't necessarily got your opinion on it. It's been a while since we've done one of these, but this one comes in from the Breaking Ankles podcast, and he asks, will a healthy team put us in the eight seed? So, Taking that question on board and more generally, I'm interested to hear your thoughts about where you see the Bulls sort of heading because they've had a productive offseason. We've talked about Sadoransky and maybe his perceptions being lifted amongst us Bulls fans and maybe getting a little bit more excited about things. But do you think a healthy Bulls team can sneak into the eighth seed? I haven't asked you that question. So let's get it on record now.
2: Yeah, I think they can. I think a lot of things has to go right. And I, I really like the roster. What it comes down to for me is when I look at the roster, I do see... Um, an opening in the East for these guys, pending, of course, that they develop correctly. And that's really the trick of it. Because if Wendell Carter Jr. is forced to play basically like Robin Lopez was played because of Jim Boylan, that's not going to help the team. If Lauren Markin is forced to play a lot of center and play traditional center basketball, that's not going to help the team. Um, So it comes down to the coaching, I feel like. If Jim Boylan is... Is not up to the task of playing basketball that resembles 2019 era style, then it becomes a problem. And then it becomes something where I definitely see the cap of this team uh, you know, decrease a, a fair bit. Uh, the roster has a lot of potential, both you know, from a lot of individual talents in terms of especially Carter and Morgan and Levine, but just in, in terms of how it fits together. I actually like the puzzle that's been built here. Now it's a matter of the guy who's trotting them out there, Jim Boylan, if he has no clue what to do with these guys and he consistently puts them in the incorrect places and incorrect situations, then this team could go south real quick. But yes, I do think there is a scenario wherein the Bulls make the playoffs. They do have to have a very, very strong start to the season because their schedule at the end of the year is brutal. I wrote about this on Forbes uh, a couple months back, I feel like, and they really have to get it going early in the season to, to get a strong foothold on the Eastern conference. And you have to wonder if Jim Boylan is up to that task.
1: A hundred percent agree. I mean, we can talk all we want about this upcoming season, but it all, it all uh, is dependent on Jim Boylan, unfortunately. But, I mean, that's the reality of the situation. But we're not far away from learning about that and how that all plays out because we're only two weeks away from, from media day, from training camp, and preseason is pretty much two and a half weeks away, which is just crazy to think about. Now that the World Cup is done... NBA basketball is just around the, court, uh, around the corner, and obviously the Bulls will be back very soon, Bulls fans. So, Mort, I appreciate you coming on and taking these listeners' questions, talking to SI Top 100, all of that. We, I'm, I was happy to gloat about sadaransky as well because that has left me feeling pretty pretty positive, particularly after the World Cup. So thanks for coming on, man. And tell the people where they can t- uh, follow you online. You've mentioned it a little bit. Obviously, they can catch you on Forbes. but Where, where can they... Uh, is there one central place where they can keep a hold of all the things you're doing? Well, I'm on Twitter. And thank you for
2: having me, first and foremost. I'm on Twitter at MSJNBA. Uh, and I run a podcast with Brian Toporek called The NBA Podcast. Very original, I know. Uh, but it's getting a good traction and, and love doing it. We, we record... Yeah, uh, somewhere around two times a week. Um, and it, it's a lot of fun to just talk about the NBA wide and broad and and come here and, and talk about one team for 40 minutes is something that I don't really get a, a whole lot of chances to do. And I think that's that's very inter- interesting as well, because then you can go a little bit deeper. So thank you for having me. And Mark, honestly, I, I mean, I'm going to Chicago to watch the, the Bulls play Giannis and coincidentally Robin Lopez here in November it's about time you join me in Chicago, isn't it
1: <laughs> one day mate one day the uh the old bank balance is a bit low at the moment <laughs> but um one day I plan on getting over there I have no idea when that'll be it'll probably be in like 30 years time or something but uh one day well let me know then we'll coordinate all right I'll let you know in 30 years time and then we'll, we'll, we'll work it out
2: all right i'll 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 definitely get up from my grave by that point course
1: <laughs> well i mean hopefully that's not the case but um uh, i'll uh I'll, I'll hit you up in 30 years and we can organize that mate but yeah thanks again for coming on
2: and thank you for having me take care man
1: all right bulls fans so that just about does it for this episode of bulls hq thank you for tuning in as always follow me on twitter at nk hoops follow the show at bulls hq pod send me an email if you want if you want to if you've got any ideas for the show any questions if you just want to have a long form chat about the bulls send them to bullshqpod at gmail.com i'm happy to answer any and all questions that you may have but that just about does it for this episode of the show we'll be back next week when we're ever so close to the nba season so be on the lookout for that but until then this has been bulls hq speak then, bulls fans